Amen. Matthew chapter 4 this afternoon. We're going to conclude this with one more message. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your attention. It's been a joy. It's been an honor. Looking forward to tomorrow as well. But thank you for listening today and yesterday. I want to go to Matthew chapter 4 today, verse number 4. We're going to look at one verse. And uh, we're going to read that. We're going to get started. But I want to talk this afternoon as we conclude with this message about trusting the right standard. Trusting the right standard. So let's go ahead and read Matthew 4, verse 4, and then we'll get started. The Bible says here, after Jesus uh, came out of the wilderness, uh, he was tempted of the devil. His first response to the devil we find in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Our Father, we again thank you for this day, for all that has taken place, for all that has went on, for all the strengthening that has been uh, done by the fellowship, by the uh, preaching. Lord, we just praise you for it. And Lord, we want to glorify you now by uh, giving heed to your word. We want to listen. We want to hear. Father, we want to understand. Lord, I pray that we want to be changed into the image of Jesus. And so help us with that, Lord. I pray you would again. Fill me with your power. Allow me to preach, to say what you'd have me to say. And may those listening, Lord, be filled as well. May this place be filled with your power and with your presence. We thank you. We'll give you the glory. And we do ask it all now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to, I want to do something real quick if you bear with me. Um, as some of you know, a few of you, because it came up a conversation, but I've made a living for the past 17 or 18 years, uh, essentially as a machinist. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, I make, I make parts. Okay. Um, the last couple of years I've worked at a, a cabinet shop actually. And so a little different, but I still run a big machine that cuts out wood parts that essentially make up a cabinet. They put those parts together. But before that, I worked for a company. We made metal parts uh, for the printing industry. I worked there for 15 years. COVID hit, and they shut us down. I lost my job. Anyways, that was that. But uh, So that's how I've made a living. I've been a machinist. Uh, this is just an example. Uh, I'm not going to pass this around or nothing, but you can look at it later if you'd like. But this is just an example of something that I would make, all right? And I still actually, um, every once in a while, because I have Fridays off, uh, my, my old boss at my old company, uh, when our company shut down, he bought some of the old equipment. He started his own company. And so on Fridays, I still go over there and work for him because it's the machines I used to run, and I'm familiar with them. But this is an example of a part that I would have made. I've made thousands and thousands of stuff like this. This particular part started off as a, a bigger round piece. It was put in a machine called a lathe. It was turned down to the part that it is. Um, then it was taken out, and it was put in another machine called a mill, and the mill puts the holes in it. Uh, but that's what we do. We make parts like this. And they're precision. Most of them, they have what we call tolerances. Uh, we get a print, and we have to hold tolerance on these parts. And the tolerances, most of the time, are very precise. We deal in thousands, okay? We call them thousands. That's what we say, uh, machinist lingo, we say, you know, one thou, two thou, that sort of thing. 
to give you an idea, all right, a piece of paper is three, three, I'm sorry, three thousandths of an inch thick, okay? So when I say a thousandth, here's what I mean. Take one inch, divide it by a thousand, one of those, okay? So an inch, divide that by a thousand, one of those is a thousandth or a thou. This piece of paper is three thousandths thick, okay? So we deal in thousandths and uh, for example, like three thousandths of an inch, that's, it sounds crazy, this piece of paper. Really, for, for, for a machinist that has a good machine, proper tooling, three thousandths is a, is a ton. <laughs> I love a three thou tolerance because that's a plenty. That's way more than I need. So, for example, let's say the diameter of this shaft is one inch plus or minus a thousandth. That means I can go a thousandth above an inch or a thousandth below an inch, and this will be intolerance, all right? And so uh, we even deal, I'm going to blow your mind here, we even deal in tenths of thousandths. So you take a thousandth of an inch and divide that by ten, that's a tenth. There are some tolerances we have, we have like two or three tenths that we have to hit, okay? Crazy right. Now you might say, how in the world do you check something like that? I'm glad you asked, let me tell you. All right, I know you're all just enthralled, but this is just one example of a piece of equipment that we use. This is a micrometer. It's a precision instrument that we use to measure. So, for example, I would take this. I would twist it on that shaft there, the diameter, and I, would, I could show you how to read this. It's kind of hard to understand, but I would use this to measure this. So that's how we get precision tolerances. That's how we figure out whether the part's intolerance, whether it's right or not, is a precision instrument like this. Now, the reality of it is this is a piece of equipment. This can get a bit off. So occasionally we have to check our micrometers, our, our measuring instruments to make sure they're still on because it could be reading something um, because it's off a little bit and, and there's a way to adjust this. I can show you that, but I'm not going to for the sake of time. So, to get a, a precision part intolerance, it takes a good machine, it takes a good tooling, it takes a machinist that knows what he's doing, it takes good quality precision instruments like this. These, these are expensive. I have, I have thousands of dollars worth of these types of tools that I bought over the years. And so there's a lot of factors that come into play to get a good part, all right? But... You need a good machine, you need a good machinist, you need a good piece of measuring equipment. But it all boils down to, some, to what I have in my hand right here. See this little thing here? This is how we check whether this is on or not. Okay? You know what this is called? A standard. That's literally what it is called. We, we you know, we'll say... You know, well, let me check it by the standard. And so we'll, you know, this little thing will go in there and we use it. This standard right here is exactly an inch. It's not a tenth of a thousandth over. It's not a tenth of a thousandth under. It is exactly one inch to the tenth of the thousandth. And so we use this to check this 
So then we can use this to get this. Okay? So again, it takes machinery, it takes machinists, it takes precision measuring tools. But really, it all boils down to the standard right here. Okay? Does that make sense? All right? Now, I want us to think about that. And you're free to say that if you'd like later. You're probably bored to tears, and I understand that. In the Christian life, I'll conclude with this today. The standard that we have matters. And we have to trust the right standard. For a part to be a good part and intolerance, it all boils down to the standard that was used. It all boils down to whether there is a standard or not. Now, I want to mention briefly, and I don't want to like just kind of sort of passingly mention the Holy Spirit, but we understand the Holy Spirit's role in our life. When we get saved, He comes and He takes residence uh, inside of us and He dwells within us, and He's our comforter, He's our guide, He's our teacher. Uh, if you go to John chapter 16, verse number 13, real quick, um, we see really. Um, who he is and what he is, how be it when he, verse 13 is John chapter 16, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so we understand, and we, we uh, I don't want to fail to mention this afternoon, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, his ministry in our life, and that he is the spirit of truth and that his ministry in our life is to lead us into truth. And so he'll guide us and he'll lead us and he'll teach us. But the reality of it is uh, there are Christians, people that are saved, that don't live like we do. They don't believe like we do. The same Holy Spirit's in them. The same Holy Spirit that's leading us and guiding us into the truth that we believe is the same Holy Spirit that's leading and guiding them into truth. And so is the Holy Spirit wrong? Is the Holy Spirit different? What's, what's the deal? And so I think you understand that. And that's where I'm going this morning. The Holy Spirit's the same. His ministry's the same. Every believer that he resides in, he's, he's uh, going to lead them into the truth. But the standard that the believer is using matters. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is insufficient or inadequate, but the Holy Spirit has to work with the standard that the believer is choosing to use. Now the Holy Spirit's going to lead to the proper standard. If the standard is wrong, we understand that. But the standard matters. That little bitty thing that I showed you, that's actually, that is literally what it is called, a standard, is key in the process. So number one this morning, we all have an understanding of right and wrong. We all have an understanding of right and wrong. We'll, we'll get to Matthew 4 that we read earlier, verse number 4. But we all have an understanding or a knowledge of right and wrong. It's called a conscience, okay? It's called a conscience. We all have one, and it is the understanding or the knowledge of right and wrong. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 2. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse number 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now go to chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What took place here was Adam and Eve acquired a conscience. Before, all they knew was right because they lived in a perfect place where there was no sin and that's all they knew. They had no knowledge of wrong because there was no wrong. But as God said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if ye eat of it, ye shall surely die, which they did and which we do because of it. But also their eyes were opened and they gained a knowledge or an understanding of right and wrong now. So we might call it a conscience. They acquired it. We inherited it. And so all of us have an understanding of good and evil, of right and wrong. Now, we understand this morning that everybody's right and wrong might be different. Every human being has this idea of right and wrong. They have within them a knowledge or an understanding that there's good, that there's evil, that there's right, that there's wrong. That there's things we should do, that there's things we shouldn't do, that there's a way we should live and a way we shouldn't live. Every person has that within them. But everybody's uh, right and wrong is different. There's people that live differently than me. There's people that live differently than you. We, we understand this. We get this. All have the understanding of it, but many people are different in their belief. I want to read some notes to you on, on, on our conscience. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this about our conscience. Internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong or the faculty, power, or principle within us which decides on the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our own actions and affections and instantly approves or condemns them. Conscience is called by some writers the moral sense and considered as an original faculty of our nature. And so our conscience is essentially what tells us this is right and this is wrong. Again, we have the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. We understand that, but our, our conscience is there 
to essentially tell us what is right and what is wrong based on whatever standard we have in our life. Someone else said this about our conscience. The conscience is defined as that part of the human psyche that induces mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate it and feelings of pleasure and well-being when our actions, thoughts, and words are in conformity to our value systems. The Greek word translated conscience in all New Testament references is whatever that word is. I'm not even going to try. But it means moral awareness or moral consciousness. The conscience reacts when one's actions, thoughts, and words conform to or are contrary to a standard of right and wrong. The New Testament concept of conscience is more individual in nature and involves three major truths. First, conscience is given for human beings to exercise self-evaluation. Paul refers several times to his own conscience being good and clear. Paul examined his own words and deeds and found them to be in accordance with his morals and value system, which were, of course, based on God's standards. His conscience verified the integrity of his heart. Second, the New Testament portrays the conscience as a witness to something. Paul says the Gentiles have consciences that bear witness to the presence of the law of God written on their hearts, even though they did not have the Mosaic law. He also appeals to his own conscience as a witness that he speaks the truth and that he has conducted himself in holiness and sincerity in his dealings with men. He also says that his conscience tells him his actions are apparent to both God and the witness of other men's consciences. Third, the conscience is a servant of the individual's value system. An immature or weak value system produces a weak conscience, while a fully informed value system produces a strong sense of right and wrong. In the Christian life, one's conscience can be driven by an inadequate understanding of scriptural truths and can produce feelings of guilt and shame disproportionate to the issues at hand. Maturing in the faith strengthens the conscience. So I think we all understand this morning that we have within us a knowledge or an understanding of right and wrong. Number two, we need to understand that With this understanding, we have to have a standard of right and wrong. You know why people differ on right and wrong? Because they have different standards. Because they're basing what's right and what's wrong to them off of different things. We see a standard in all parts of our society. Um, Kids have a standard. It should be their parents. Now, sadly, many kids are being raised without much of a standard, but for little kids that that have within them a knowledge of right and wrong, they then have parents to tell them, this is right, this is wrong, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, this is okay, this is not okay. And so we see that like with children, for example, at, at your place of employment, there are standards. There are certain things you can do, there are certain things you can't do. Your employer determines what those are and You know right and wrong at your place of employment based upon the standard that has been set. Students uh, have a standard when they're in school, whatever the rules are, whatever the teacher says, whatever the principal says, whatever those guidelines that have been established, that's the standard for the student. We understand a standard, right, in our society. It makes sense. It's essential. But when it comes to the Christian life, 
if we're going to live holy lives, if we're going to walk in a way that pleases our Savior, if our conscience is going to be guided, then it needs to be guided by the right standard. And so we must have a standard of right and wrong. Everybody's standard is based off of something. Now, the world's standard may be uh, based off of the society, whatever they see around them. Isn't that a scary thing? That somebody's standard would be the world. (laughs) We see the direction that the world is headed. And really, there's a lot of people that have that standard. Whatever they see other people do, whatever feels good, whatever whatever they determine for themselves, that's their standard. It could be what their parents have instilled in them. I mean, there are people that are lost that are decent, moral people. They're still lost. They're still uh, in need of a Savior. We understand that. But they, they might be, by the world's standards, decent, okay, average, you know, moral people. Uh, their standard might have been their parents that, that raised them a certain way. Uh, maybe somebody has you know, a certain belief system. Whatever it might be, Everyone's standard of right and wrong is based off of something. Everyone has determined somehow, some way, from something, what they deem to be right and what they deem to be wrong. And they go through life and their conscience guides them. And whatever their standard tells them is right and wrong, that's how their conscience leads them. Adam and Eve gained this conscience, but then they didn't have a standard. Now bear with me, turn back there, I want to show you what I mean. I'm not saying this morning that God failed or that God didn't know what He was doing or that God made a mistake, I'm not saying that. I just want to show you what I mean. So we understand that God gave them the standard of everything that you see you can have and enjoy, but the one tree, you're not to eat of it. That was the standard. That's, that's all they needed to know. But as soon as they ate of that tree, their eyes were open. They then now had the knowledge of good and evil or right and wrong. But I want us to look at what took place immediately after they gained this knowledge. Um, they gained this knowledge and the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked. What did they do next? You all know what they did. Tell me. They sewed fig leaves together. Was that the right decision? I mean, we could say, well, they they knew they had to cover themselves. Yeah, but did they cover themselves appropriately? No, they didn't, did they? How do we know that? Because it says later God made them coats of skins. So the first thing they did after they gained knowledge of good and evil was wrong. What did they do next? We can keep reading. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So what's the second thing they did? They hid from God. Was that right or wrong? That was wrong. We know it was wrong because God showed up and he said, Where art thou? Now he knew where they were at. He knew what took place. But for the first time, they were not in fellowship with God. And for the first time, they felt like they had to hide. That was wrong. What happened next? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So immediately after they gained the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing they did was sow fig leaves together. That was the wrong decision. The next thing they did was hide from God. That was the wrong decision. Then the third thing that, Adam, that happened was the wrong decision because Adam said, it's her fault. Instead of him just saying, you know what, Lord, I did it. He said, I did it, but she made me. Then God goes to the woman and he says, what is this that thou hast done? The woman said, serpent, it was his fault. You see where I'm going with this? I'm not saying God failed. I'm not saying God didn't provide. All I'm saying is that as soon as they gained a knowledge of good and evil, they had no standard. They knew that there was right and wrong. But what was right and what was wrong, they didn't know. And again, I believe this was on purpose. And, and we understand that, that they eventually had a standard, and, and we get all that. But my point is this, is they were operating in and of themselves. They had no standard and wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. We must have a standard of right and wrong. Number three this morning, we must have the right standard. <clears throat> I think you knew where I was going with this. But we all have a knowledge or understanding of right and wrong. We all must have a standard for our right and wrong, and we must have the right standard. I want to encourage you by telling you that our standard is not our feelings. Our standard is not our feelings. In Jeremiah 17, it says that our, our hearts are deceitful. We can't follow our hearts. We can't follow what we feel. Our feelings change. Our feelings are wrong. They're not our feelings. I've been a pastor for a while now. I grow weary of hearing people say, well, I just don't feel that. I'm sorry what you feel, but this is what God's Word says. I'm thinking of a couple. I could think of many people, but thinking of a couple, the, uh, the husband is not saved. He never joined our church. He attended our church with his wife, but... When his wife got upset and left, he sort of included himself in the situation. You know, he wanted to tell me why they were leaving. And I kind of thought, well, you were never really here to begin with. But, but anyways, this lady was a good friend of ours. They're both good friends of ours. She started attending our church. And uh, she was, you know, never really for church membership. Long story short, she got her salvation squared away. She, she wanted to join our church. She didn't have scriptural baptism. Uh, she got assurance of her salvation, but she didn't have scriptural baptism. So we baptized her in our church, so therefore she became a member of our church. Was a member of our church, doing well. I mean, just one of those stories, you just use her as an example for good and say this is how God's working in a life. I mean, she was studying and growing, and then something happened, and for whatever reason, she just decided that our church wasn't for her. But I went and talked to her, and of course her husband was there, and you know, well, you know, we, let, me, let me tell you. And, and he said, what you guys preach and what you guys believe, he said, I just don't feel it. Yeah, you probably don't. A lot of people don't. But your feelings don't matter. 
What you think doesn't matter. What God's Word says matters. It's not your feelings. We can't trust them. We can't rely upon them. It's not society. I hope you know this, what you read on the news, what you see on social media. That's not the standard. Facebook's not the standard. Twitter's not the standard. Whatever else everybody uses is not the standard. TikTok, my word, is not the standard. Can't believe the time that is wasted on TikTok. It's not the standard. Hollywood is definitely, definitely not the standard. You know what, Hollywood, they, they every once in a while, they may try to produce a, a, a family movie or a, you know, a, a Christian-based movie. They fail miserably at Christian-based, family-oriented, wholesome movies. They're still junk. And the other stuff they produce, we know what that is. Hollywood's not the standard. Secular music is not the standard. I understand we're confronted with it everywhere we go. We went into a bookstore here in town uh, yesterday or the day before, and it was very clear that the owner was sort of a new age spirituality type of thing. I mean, there was a book in there on, you know, uh, the case for reincarnation, uh, how to reverse your uh, um, karma. He was playing the, these, this music over the loudspeakers, and I used to be in that junk. All right, I, I gave up all secular music because it's all junk. Country, pop, rock, whatever it is, it's junk. Amen. Don't listen to it. Don't believe the lie. But it was that sort of stuff that I used to listen to. It's mind-altering stuff is what he was playing. I know what it was. Mind-altering type of stuff. That's not the standard. Nothing in this world is the standard. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. We see the word walk there again, don't we? Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So we've received Christ the Lord, therefore we should walk in Him. We should be rooted, built up, and established. That means grounded, solid in the faith. Steadfast, sure. And then it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through, vain, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We need to be established in the faith. The faith that's been once delivered unto the saints, the word of God, rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. And we have to beware. Because if we're not careful, society, our feelings, the world, they'll spoil us through their philosophy, through their vain deceit, through their traditions, the rudiments of the world. And our standard will be off. It won't be what it ought to be. And we have to be very, very careful. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. I want to read 13, the first 13 verses here. I'll, I'll try to hurry. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many but and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened? To eat those things which are offered to idols, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will, not, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, I know the context here is that uh, Paul was saying that he's saying, Now, we understand that we have the knowledge that we can eat meat offered unto idols. Uh, uh, they're just idols. They're not real. And so we know that we can eat it. It's fine. Uh, we can eat it or not eat it. Doesn't matter. But there are those that think that it's wrong to eat it. Their conscience is weak. Their standard is that they believe that they cannot eat that meat. And so we should try not to offend them by eating the meat. So that's the context we understand that. What I want us to get out of it is that it uses the word conscience and it says their conscience tells them that they can't eat that meat now Paul's saying we know that we can but their conscience is telling them that they can't they had different standards Paul's standard was the word of God he said there's one God and if there's that meat's been offered to them idols it doesn't matter they're not real gods they're false so if we want to eat it we can eat it we know that we have that knowledge but there are those with a different standard. Their conscience is guiding them in a different way. And so I'm not preaching about, you know, not offending brethren or anything like that. I just want us to understand what I'm trying to say today. We must have the right standard. Psalm 119, verse number 11. We could probably quote it without going there. Psalm 119, verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What did the psalmist want to have in his heart? God's word. What did the psalmist want as his standard to guide his conscience? The word. John chapter 17, verse number 17. Jesus' prayer for believers. He said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. 
Thy word is truth. Our feelings are not the standard. Society is not the standard. Jesus tells us what the standard is. In Matthew 4, 4, he said, Man must not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus told his church, he said, teaching them what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Paul tells us what the standard is. He says, I've uh, uh, shunned not to declare all the counsel of God. Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. We know what the standard is, don't we? And so it's up to us today to determine, to decide what that standard's going to be. Make sure your belief system is not based off society, the world, the media. Make sure your beliefs, your convictions, your standard of truth is nothing more or less than the Word of God.